So Mike, Tristan, are we ready for energy and passion? Because today, Peter Licarinas from HMO and Steroids and HMO Premier is coming in. So what we do is we look at increasing the value of the house as much as we can as a HMO, but also a family home. So at a flick of a switch, it can be converted back into a family home. And before anyone kind of gets nervous about HMOs, there's a massive gap in the market that he's found. And I'm really excited to hear him talk openly about how he's found the market in HMOs. But as a lettings agent, Mike, for as long as you've been, what are you most looking forward to? Well, yeah, like you said, I'm the letting agent who doesn't do HMOs. Absolutely hated them throughout my career because they just take so much management. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing how Pete's done it, what he does and how he changes that mentality and how he brings in tenants that he wants into his properties. Yeah, completely different take on that classic kind of HMO setup. And Tristan, from your point of view? Yeah, I think for myself, um, obviously me and you have seen the, 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 the product before the conversion all the way through to completion and the transformation is ridiculous and how they've added value to that property and the spec is unbelievable. But what I'd like to know in more detail is what makes his HMO stand out to the typical HMO that's on the market because we do see hundreds of them on the market and hundreds of them sit on the market whereas from the conversations I've had with them they go quickly so I'd be interested to know what stands out. We've been in the property game for longer than any of us. He's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of passion, a lot of energy which is great but most importantly a lot of knowledge in the local area where we operate in the free um, home counties here so I'm looking forward to getting him on because I think people are going to learn a lot so let's do it. Let's get him on. So a long time in coming this podcast Peter thank you for uh, joining us I'm looking forward to getting stuck into everything about HMOs and how your business operates. I know the guys have got a few quick fire questions but how are you? Yeah really good really good it's been an interesting couple of years hasn't it yeah. in the property market for everyone but I think there's been massive opportunity out there and I think people like you guys have grabbed it with both hands and I certainly have and of course when things don't go according to plan what the people want to do with money they want to invest so I've been quite fortunate in a very fortunate position where my business has thrived so yeah really happy good stuff Mike over to you quick fire Pete some of these people take 10 minutes over this but we're going to do this double time I know you are what happens next within the property market yeah, good question. Um, I think we're going to see a continuation of property prices going up. I think there's a lot of talk about interest rates going up, but I think people forget how low they already are. Mm. I mean, interest rates, what's the base rate? 0.1%. There's talk of it going up to 0.25%. Um, you know, I think it's not going to have a massive effect on the market. Um, and next year, I can see prices continuing to go up, believe it or not. I think there will be a dip at some point. There has to be a correction like there always is. Um, but for first time buyers, it's still pretty easy to, to buy for investors. Um, mortgage rates are as low as they, I can ever remember. Um, HMO mortgages were 8% five wow. years ago. And now they're between 3 and 4%. So, yeah, I just think it's going to be an opportunity for people with a positive mindset and a problem for people with a negative mindset. Yeah, definitely. It's a long-term game, isn't it, property? It's not short-term, so it doesn't matter what happens in six months. If you've just bought today, it's it's all about what happens maybe over six years, really. Absolutely. We'll go back to beyond our time in the 90s, Black Wednesday. Um, Tristan, you probably haven't heard about this, but uh, interest rates went up to 17%, and it was the biggest housing crash that uh, the world had ever seen. Um, and if you bought a property in 1990, and you managed to get through that crash by 1996, your property prices almost doubled. Mm. 
So it just goes to show, like yeah. you say. There we go. So we won't see a tumultuous crash of a 0.15% interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there. so. But it's a really interesting way to, 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 to split people. Those with a positive mindset and those with a negative mindset, those who are positive will see a way of doing things rather than those who are negative who will, who will see everything's expensive or everything is expensive on paper, but when you look at the repayments, it's never been cheaper. I know my first house would be cheaper to own now than it was when I bought it. 15 years ago so it's a really good way of separating people interesting one for you as a deal maker if you invest in the perfect deal tomorrow what's it look like for, for me i think the perfect deal is different for everyone i think this is what's key um we we register up to 100 investors a month um our team will then call them um we then have zooms with them and everyone's understanding of property investment is separate and different to themselves and everyone wants something different. You have so many people that are still fixated on yield, where for me, the perfect investment is about net profit. Um, you can get a high yield up north, but you mm. can get 500 pounds less profit. Yeah. And people don't really understand that. Um, some people want income, some people want capital, some people want to flip properties and make money pretty quickly, which is, is, is quite easy in a market like we're in now where property prices are going up. Some people want to focus on property development. To me, what makes the perfect investment and what I try and do with my business is I try and offer an investor different things. So with high net worth, high quality HMOs, we're looking to get a property a little bit below market value. Okay, And we're not one of these companies that will say we're going to get a property 10% below market value because anyone who knows property knows that's just a lie. And we, we, our, our reputation is reaped on being honest and providing incredible investments, but honest advice along, along the same way. So we're looking to get a property 5% below market value. If we can offer a seller or sellers 5, 4 or 5% below market value for a property and they get the guarantee that they get a good quality buyer, in five years, we've, we've lost two properties because of because of our clients. Mm -hmm. um, you know the fall through rate in properties, what, about 30%? Yeah, at least a third. Pr pr pretty good going. So they know they're going to get a good quality buyer. They know they're going to get a fair price. The investor's happy they get a fair price. But with that 4 or 5%, what I'm looking for, and where probably my expertise comes in, is I see the potential to add um, a driveway from a front garden under permitted development. I see the potential to put an ensuite bedroom in a garage, which has never been used, um, which adds value as the HMO, but it also adds value to the bricks and mortar as a family home. Um, I see the potential of what, what that property could be worth. And I like to give examples, and we, I think you saw it here, and we we just finished one in Jameston, um, in Birch Hill, and we bought the property at 435, and we converted the garage into an ensuite bedroom, and we converted the front garden into a parking for four cars, and there was a parking space in front of a driveway, so five parking spaces. We refurbished it, we put an extra bathroom in, and we just had it valued at 575. Okay, it was a 65 grand refurb. However, there's still an uplift of probably including the, the small amount we got it below market value, about 15%. So going back to your question, um, we've made 15% forced capital in that property. It will provide an income of over 40,000 pounds a year. Um, so we've got a great income. We've got a net profit from that income of around 51%. So let's say for EasyMax, 20 grand net profit on that specific property. 
they'll be able to take their money out after year two if if they want to. So it's ticking four or five boxes. So that's why it's the perfect investment for me. You're getting a good yield, but you're getting net profit. Um, you're forcing capital. You can take your money back out. You've made money immediately. Also, if the market changes, that forced capital has has meant if the market goes down 10%, you've still got a property uh, and you don't have to worry about potentially being repossessed or uh, potentially going under market value. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So it's not just it's security and then it's added value. And obviously, we're working in areas where we know over the next 10 years, uh, they're going to go up significantly because of the regeneration, the crosswell, the, the comparisons of prices here against London, where we know we follow suit over a sort of four or five year period. So for, for me, that's the reason um, these investments tick all the boxes to become almost the perfect investment for our clients. Is that why your speciality of knowing the local market so well, because you've done two decades plus worth of experience in them, is that why you focus in those areas? Because there's enough to find, and also it means you can spot where you can get driveways, where you can get extensions, how the council operate. That's something that you feel very comfortable with? Yeah, I think that's a brilliant question, and every investor um, should be wanting to know the answer to that. And let's look at Berkshire and Surrey over the last 23 years, Ian. I know you've been um, in property a similar amount of time as myself. Um, there's areas within Berkshire and Surrey, which I would say were good to invest in, but there are also areas where there, where there aren't, and, and you shouldn't be investing in those areas. And we've looked up north, we've invested with clients in London, um, Hampshire, different parts of the UK. For me, it's, it's Berkshire and Surrey's time now. When you look at everyone coming out of London to get more affordable housing, you look at the links into London from areas outside of London, I think more and more people are moving to these areas. There's more and more blue chip companies, more and more businesses moving here, um, which means more people. Mm. Um, £1.2 billion has been spent in uh, a county in Berkshire. It's, it's incredible. 15,000 more people expected to live there within the next eight years. I mean, these are real numbers. and For me, it means what we're doing is sustainable for the next 10 to 15 years. But where you've got to be careful, and I'll actually give you an example. Um, 15 years ago, we'd have been having a similar conversation about Reading in Berkshire. Um, and Reading had the incredible Oracle built on, on the bus depot. The links to London and everywhere else just became ridiculous. Uh, and it just started to become an incredible area for people to live. And it became one of the best places to invest in the UK. And it was voted that way three or four top years running. Um, now, 15, 14 years later, in my opinion, it's one of the worst places to invest in the UK. So it's really important not to just follow the crowd and know when to get in an area and when to get out of an area. Um, prices have hit probably, they've probably gone too high. Mm -hmm. There's 1,500 rooms in Reading on the market, to give you an example. Um, in one of our other areas, there's about 40. Um, so and knowing the competition, isn't it, almost? Knowing the markets and as a result, you know where the demand and the supply is beneficial to your investor. Absolutely. If I buy a property in Reading, am I going to be able to force capital? Yes, but it's going to be a lot harder. Over the next five years, are values going to go up? No, I don't think they are, which is a bold comment, but I'm usually right. Um, and there's so much competition, but also there's less professionals, believe it or not. Uh, a lot of the business parks in Reading now are moving further and further out of Reading onto the outskirts of Reading mm -hmm. because of the links to the motorways which means they're actually more accessible to the other cheaper areas and maybe 
perhaps nicer areas, more rural areas around. Yeah. So that's where people are going. So it's really important, yeah, to know when to get in and out of an area. I think it's super and it really interesting from the point of view of how you look at a property. I'll tell you a story. One of my own agents actually sent me a link to that house you mentioned when it was on the market um, with a comment of something down the lines of, I've no idea who's ever going to buy that house. And we're now sitting talking six months later, you put 65,000 into it and it's been revalued 120, 130 more than you bought it for. So you're looking at a house from a totally different angle than an estate agent or a buyer or a family who lives next door. Um, and it's just by chance. I remember absolutely as clear as day, the agent said to me saying that house is just all wrong, all weird, don't understand, no one's ever buying that house. Two weeks later, it sold. Didn't know you'd bought it at the time. Six months later, it's it's fully let HMO generating Over five figures grand. a year. And obviously, somebody I, we've been in, haven't you? Yeah, I had a look, and actually, you see it now. And what's I think you've got a question, Tristan, about kind of how you look at the property as it starts, and then how it turns into what it turns into after. But I know from your perspective, you don't just look at it as how do I make the perfect HMO, but you also look at it, how do I add value and how does it still stay a family home? Yeah, that's that's another really good question. Um, I think where people go really wrong is, firstly, there's a, a big cloud around financing HMOs and a lot of people think that you can turn a house into a HMO and then get a commercial valuation on it and then get it 100 grand valued over what the actual value is. Well, that's not investing, that's gambling. Because if the market turns even a little bit, or you have any financial problems, you're going to be repossessed. And that's what happened in 2008 when a lot of investors were doing that badly. Um, okay, there's an argument. If you're going to do a 15-bed HMO and it's just going to be a business, then potentially getting a, more, a commercial mortgage on that will work. But for a five- or six-bed HMO, it's not. So what we do is we look at increasing the value of the house as much as we can as a HMO but also a family home. Mm. So a flick of a switch, it can be converted back into a family home. And we don't try and do quirky things like put brick wallpaper in it and appeal to some of the tenant types that HMOs are renowned for. We're talking luxury, five-star accommodation, professional tenants, something that you'd all be proud to live in with your family. Um, but what that also does is it increases the value of the home, as you guys know. Yeah. So when a surveyor comes out, he's going to say, well, that is the most expensive house in Jamestown, and there's a reason why, mm -hmm. and that will value up like, like, like it did. So, yeah, we're, we're always looking at how we can get the maximum value from a residential mortgage, and that then means they can take the money out securely. Yeah. Commercial mortgages, for me, are a gamble and very old, a very old-fashioned way of investing in HMOs. I was going to say, so that the good thing about having the increased valuation then does mean if they want to go again, they've got a really good chance of pulling out what they put in to potentially expand the portfolio rather than just Absolutely. ring fencing one? I think that's the, probably the most common question. Let's say we register 100 investors in a month. Um, 40 of those investors, when Ellie or Dan calls them, we've had the question, uh, what are you looking to do? And the minute they say, we're looking to buy HMO and take our money out in three months, right. um, we're, we're, we're referring to somebody else. Because again, that's not investing and they're not the type of clients we're looking to work with. Um, Ian mentioned it, alluded to it earlier. Investing is a long-term win. It's a get-rich-over-a-long-period-of-time scheme. And it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. And taking your money out after three months is gambling. We recommend taking your money out or some money out after two years. 
where you've had two years of looking at that work as an investment vehicle. Mm -hmm. You've had two years to analyze the property market and say, is it a good time to be doing this? Um, and that's what most of our clients will do um, if, if they're looking to take their money out at all. Tristan, you got a few some questions there for Pete? Yeah, definitely. So obviously you've got the, the different method that you guys do with converting it back to a residential home if you need to, but what, what type of client would this property attract? What, from your point of view, who would you work with or who, what's the ideal client basically is what I'm trying to get to. From an investor point yes. of view. Mm. <clears throat> so my, my ideal investor um, is, there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of investors out there. My ideal investor is who wants a win-win. They want more for their money, which is a smart mindset for an investor, but they want to give back more to the tenant, okay? Um, so many investors will just think about themselves, but the smart investor will think about the tenant. If you give a tenant something they haven't had before, and by the way, I don't just mean as in a house, I mean respect, I mean treatment, I mean the relationship between them. And that's why we, we manage every single uh, HMO in a WhatsApp group. So our management um, partners are in conversation with these tenants on a daily basis. Now, a bad agent will say, oh, what a headache talking to people every day. A smart agent will think, wow, quick fire conversations with houses every day so we never have a problem. Uh, and, and that's how we operate. And we never, we never have problems. So I'm looking for the investor that wants to look after himself and look after the tenant, but also wants to be in it long term. My favorite type of client is someone that says, Pete, I want to invest in five properties plus over 10 years. Brilliant. And I will never let an investor work with us for more than one property at a time. So I know what we do is so good. So once they've done one, they will be quickly back for more. And they fall in love with the process that we're doing a luxury HMO. We we turn the market on its head, if you like. We're, we're, we're more passionate than anyone about, about what we're delivering. The luxury furniture packs. This is actually an investment they will take pictures of and they will show their friends and family. Yeah, We're proud of it, so are they. Um, so a long-term investor, someone that wants to do it on an ongoing basis. And look, if somebody comes to us and says, we've only got enough money to buy one property, if I really like them and I think they're good people and I think I can generally help them, um, then potentially we, we, we would work with them. But we've got a three or four month waiting list now. So we're really looking for the long-term investor that wants to do it properly over a long period of time demands a better service from us, is happy to give a better service to the tenant, um, which creates a higher income, high yield, and a win-win situation. It's funny, because we, uh, we had a guest from Arla actually come on, and one of the things that she <clears throat> said on the podcast, which stuck to me, was landlords need to remember that what they put into the property, they get out, and if you wouldn't live there yourself, then why should someone pay to live there? And it's, it's a great point, because I think, HMOs, and maybe it's the elephant in the room here, but HMOs sometimes get tarred <coughs> with a certain brush. Yeah. I've obviously seen yours and you can check Pete out on Instagram and, and you'll see that the, the properties that you produce don't look anything like them, but it does sometimes get tarred with that brush and it's probably why yours are renting and there's a hundred and however many in Reading that aren't. A absolutely. Everyone asked me when I set up the company why I called it HMO on steroids because it's quite a, a disruptive name, if you like. I wanted to disrupt the space mm. because I know HMOs are students, they're social, they're poor quality, bad landlords, HMO daddy, blah, blah. And it's just, I, did, I, I didn't want to be associated with that. So mm. um, HMO on steroids was put out there to disrupt the marketplace 
and people will notice us, love or hate the name. And then when they see us and they see the quality of what we do, um, they fall in love with us. And then, funny enough, a funny story, we started working with professional footballers. Um, one of the, one of our clients came to me and said, Pete, he goes, he goes, I love you, mate. You think you've got a great company, but I play for a Premier League football team. I can't be associated with steroids. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you made the sister brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's where the, the idea came for HMO Premier. Um, so we could hire, work with even higher affluent clients with more money. Um, so HMO Premier now, if anyone's got more than a couple of million to invest over a long period of time, they get the guarantee of just working with me personally. Um, so if you like an even better service, um, and uh, they don't get associated with steroids. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. I love that. And how um, hands-on would a land or off would a land or need to be when working with you? Yeah, brilliant. That's up to the investor. We're, we're, we're extremely transparent about how we operate. We're, we're part of Isla. We're governed by the property ombudsman. Um, we're here for the long haul. We're doing it properly. Um, we're very transparent about how we work. Some investors, certainly my premier clients, one Richard, he's bought over 15 properties for us. He's only oversaw the first one. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks at his bank balance now and he's happy. He's always um, like playing a computer game with money. It is him, it's all digital now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But some clients, they want to come and meet the build team with me once a week, which is fine. Uh, they want to help um, be involved in the theming of the rooms, which is fine. I, I love their involvement and their enthusiasm with the project. So we're happy. They can be as involved as they want or as hands-free as I want. It really doesn't matter. It depends on the person. And I choose to work with people I like. Mm -hmm. That's really important in business, especially as you get older, to work with people like-minded that you like, that will appreciate what you're doing, um, providing you, you appreciate them. So I work with people I like. So every client is a joy to work with, to be honest. Yeah, it's a big it's a big feature for, for us, actually, because we've all been in agency for long enough and, and in property for long enough to know that sometimes... It's just about numbers, whereas actually it's a big part of us setting up our business as well is to make sure we work with people we like. So, Well, I think that's that's where I've seen the, the biggest synergy between what we're all doing is, you know, you guys deal with your, your clients yourselves. Um, you care about what you're doing. Um, you make it enjoyable rather than a process. Yeah. I and, mean, you know, going back to my agency days, it was all a process. It was all a number. It was all a target. It was all... Horrible, to be honest. <laughs> um, We've all been there. We so it's, it's quite refreshing, you know, to, to have a business like, like we all do, where we're just caring for the client. Yeah, absolutely. And you spoke about turnover on Jameston, uh, obviously the numbers that it turns over rental-wise, but from that and your other HMOs you deal with or have dealt with, what's the difference in turnover of that as opposed to a, a typical HMO you would see elsewhere? Yeah, so I can talk about this for hours. Um, so we've got different levels of HMOs which can cost from 125 grand to 250 grand, um, including your 20 to 25% deposits, where stupidly ridiculous rates are still available, um, furniture packs, stamp duty, deposits, um, uh, licensing, and, and every, all, all the costs that come associated with it. Our smallest five bed will gain you around 3,000 pound income a month. Our smallest six bed around 3,600 pound income a month. Our middle level six bed around four thousand two hundred a month, um, and then up to five six thousand five thousand six hundred pounds a month is our biggest grossing HMO. It's amazing. And what's interesting about that is <coughs> you mentioned to Tristan, I think, when we popped over um, to see one of the bigger properties that 
you kind of draw the line at six beds in, yeah. in most occasions. Just give everyone a little bit of an insight into why that is. Yeah, brilliant. I'm glad you asked that. So for example, on the property in Binfield Road, we had enough room in that property to do eight bedrooms. Okay, we could have an eight bedroom HMO and would have averaged 500 pounds a room. Um, seven of the eight cars would have had parking spaces. So you can work out those numbers yourself. Um, instead, we did it, which I, I would say we use my formula. And the difference is we done six bedrooms. So when you go over six bedrooms of a HMO or six people, so if you have a five bed HMO with seven people in, that's a, that's a seven bed HMO. So you have to get planning permission, not just a license. And in areas where there are a variety of covenants, a variety of Article 4, you will struggle um, to get planning permission. With planning permission also means every wall will need to be soundproofed and each local council has its own wish list. And a refurb typically will go up 25 to 45%. So that's the first difference. The investment in that property was 90, it would have probably been 140,000 pounds. That's the first difference. Also five or six people on a WhatsApp group in a house, it's just harmonious, it works. You can find five or six people that can work together and get on well. Eight people, to find eight people in a house which are gonna get on and work well together, it's, it's a bit harder. Yeah. And you're always gonna get a bad apple. One bad apple, you guys know, Michael knows, one bad apple in a six bed HMO, it takes the whole HMO down and it, and it ruins it and it creates a bad atmosphere. And that's, that's not what we're all about. But the most important thing for the client is the money shop, right? So our average room rental in Binfield Road, our Las Vegas theme, you'll see it on our internet, um, uh, social media, um, is £800 a room. Wow. So rather than averaging £500 a room on a six, uh, eight-bed HMO, we're averaging £800 a room on a six-bedroom HMO. Six-bedroom HMO um, with three en-suites um, and two bathrooms. And we never have more than two tenants sharing a bathroom, especially since COVID. Um, and we just created some incredible rooms and um, we themed it Vegas hotels because it was fun, it was quirky and the rooms were ginormous. We had cinema rooms, we had foosballs tables, we had pool tables and it was probably the furniture kit, an extra three grand investment on top of that. But the refurb was 60 grand less or 50 grand less than a, um, an eight bed would have been. And it's obviously generating more income and it looks better and the tenants are happier. And no cost for planning permission. And no cost for planning permission. It's, in, it's incredible. You've almost created a new market that didn't exist five years ago um, from, from my point of view. Because £800 a room, for anyone who's not in our area, I can find a one-bedroom flat to rent for £800 and have my own front door, which most people, I think, without looking at the two as, as an obvious thing, would choose a one would be mad to not go for a one-bedroom flat over a room in a house by definition um, and a normal room in this area I see them advertised on right move for 350 and 400 pounds they sit on right move they sit on spare room for weeks months so we're talking about doubling an income here or doubling a, a revenue in by doing it with thought and style some design and, and, and some architecture behind it but we came back, didn't we, from seeing your... You were um, moving in. And we're, <laughs> we were moving in. Because what was funny, as I said, to, um, I said to Mike, what would you rather have? And I explained what the property had, bike shed, gym, like all the lounge area, the massive, massive bedroom, which is probably the same size of 
80% of a small one-bed flat, anyway, the bedroom, let alone all the amenities that came with it, driveway, lovely location. I said to Mike, what would you rather be in? And because, obviously, your background is like, I rent my own flat, and me and Tristan were like, nah, wait till you see it. We would both 100% spend the, the money to live in there. Do you, know, do you know what? Michael absolutely nailed it. I, I saw an opportunity. I saw an opportunity to disrupt a marketplace, um, which predominantly had a bad name. I, I saw an opportunity to provide... Uh, 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 some fun accommodation with like-minded people in good areas rather than a, a really lonely one-bedroom flat. Um, and, you know, since COVID, the, um, pop the the popularity of the rooms has gone mad. People are fed up with living on their own. Yeah. They've had enough. And, you know, in some other areas surrounding here, like town centre, you can get one-bed flat for a £1,000, which is in, in good condition. But you don't get the people. You don't get like-minded people. Mm. You don't get the gym. You don't get... You can't move in and just go. For me, the biggest growing um, word in any business at the moment, for me, is convenience. Yeah. If we think about this, I think this is what makes any great business incredible. You give your clients convenience. I'm giving, I'm giving our tenants, I call them my clients. That's how passionate I am about it. I am giving them everything just to move in. <clears throat> they don't need to buy cutlery. They don't need to buy an ironing board. They don't need to worry about Wi-Fi. They've got Cat 6 behind their desk and behind their television um, when they need it. They've got incredible furniture. They've got a nicer mattress that they're going to have at wherever they're living at the moment. They've got a smart television as big as the room will take. Um, and they can just literally move in. And for me, it's about offering a tenant convenience. When I've been a tenant before, you stay six months um, 12 months, 24 months, but you're moving in and out, in and out. It's stressful, right? Mm. You can just move into our rooms. No stress, yeah. just pure convenience. And I, I think they really like that. It's a cross between a five-star hotel, a service department, and a luxury HMO. And that's sort of where my uh, passion has come from, those three places and put them all together. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's like you say, it's a complete gap in the market and it's... um. Uh, if anyone's watching, you know, check out your Instagram because you'll you'll get an idea of the type of properties we're talking about. It's hard when you're talking on a podcast to explain it, but it's definitely something that people should go and see. It's good we're talking about tenants because I think you got a question around tenants actually. I did. Um, so anyone that obviously hasn't or wants to check out the video, we've obviously loaded our one to our YouTube channel as well, so you can take more and more insight off your HMOs on that. Uh, we'll repost it as well for everyone's um, uh, reference. But just with regards to tenancy length then, obviously you've created the theme throughout, you've got a great community within, but what's the typical length of uh, tenancy that someone would stay <coughs> in line with a typical HMO good, property good, as well? Good question. We've actually um, we done a video this morning with one of our investors and we were celebrating um, 24 months of not losing a tenant, which is our record. No way. Yeah. And listen to this. The house was in Great Hollands. Um, anyone watching this is going to think I'm joking. I'm not. We had a six-bedroom HMO in Great Hollands. My investor, Martin Littleboy, was gobsmacked. 24 months, two years. Through all COVID. Six, all through COVID, all six tenants stayed. And you can check out of um, any... We've got literally about... 55 different HMOs across HMO Premier, HMO Steroids and Peter Lacarinas social media. So they can check them out there and you'll be amazed. Um, absolutely amazed. And that is why we do what we do. The average tenancy for a HMO room in, in the UK uh, is about seven months. Our average is 15 months per tenant. 
15 months per tenant. I know a lot of agencies that have their buy-to-let portfolio, which is less than 15 months because they don't look after the tenants. And I work with a lot of builders and building companies. And all they say when they're doing maintenance for estate agents is, oh my God, the tenants always bitch about the agents. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We've all had that. Um, We don't get any bitching tenants because we manage them in WhatsApp groups. Yeah, it's brilliant. Six, six <laughs> tenants to save for 24 months. Mad, isn't it? Great holidays. Yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. It just shows <coughs> that you get out what you put in and yeah. the community you've built there obviously shows that with the tenancy length especially and the rents. Absolutely. I'm interested to know if, um, I know a lot of your rooms, you try and make them sort of almost <coughs> level playing field, but you obviously always get different ones that have got yeah. on suites and ones that haven't. Have you found over the years that any tenants have kind of almost upsized within the portfolio? Yeah, <clears throat> when, I, when I spoke earlier about our different sizes, different levels of HMOs, I think we've got maybe different levels of tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all comes down to, to what, what they're earning, how old they are, and who they surround themselves with. Um, but you've got tenants that are earning, you know, up to upwards of over 100 grand, taking yeah. our 850 rooms. Um, and you should see, we, our, our top room we rented for £900. It was in Forest Park. And the room had an ensuite, its own study area, ridiculous bedroom, ridiculous TV. I love ridiculous tellies. <laughs> um, our Vegas, our Vegas hotel, uh, our Vegas hotel themed. One of our rooms had three TVs in. Had uh, a TV over the be- uh, to watch at the bed. Had a TV by the um, study area, and it had an eighty-five inch television cinema Jeez. area. It was immense, absolutely immense. I forgot what you asked me because I got so excited about my <laughs> well, well, tenants upsizing. I just wondered, if, yeah, or, so, or maybe recommendations because it, tenants, I would imagine, sort of say to their friends, "Come and speak to Pete" or something like that as well. Yeah, we're, we're quite clever with how we do that, but we have yeah, we have different levels of tenants earning different levels of money that want different qualities of room. Um, but tenants breed tenants, and we get a lot of tenant recommendations. Um, we were quite cheeky at the beginning. We've got posters of our incredible rooms, which we um, post to the HMO database. Um, so if landlords aren't running their HMOs properly, their tenants know that there are better quality landlords and rooms out there, and, uh, and they come to us. Mm. Um, but the demand for rooms from tenants at the moment is crazy. The property you saw in Jamestown, we rented it out in 48 hours, six rooms gone in 48 hours, every room for asking price. And we're talking 650 for the rooms without en suites. Yeah, yeah, no marketing needed in reality. No, <laughs> no, no. <coughs> we normally ask this question first, actually, Some it's probably my fault, but we've ended up asking this at the end, but I'm always interested to know why you became a property investor, why you became a landlord, and sort of how that just happened at the start of your journey of investing. I think for me, I've I, I am Mr. Property. I love property. It's all it's all I've done since I was twenty years old, and I just think it's just exciting. It's ever changing. <clears throat> um, every property is different, uh, and you can make money, which is really important. And if you do it well, you can su- you can sustain that income and that profit. Um, and it's addictive. And you, when you, you, you guys know, when you do something well and it works and it makes you money, what do you do? You do it again and again. You repeat the process. Mm. Um, and I think being a landlord is great. Um, being a disruptive landlord is even better because I'm just trying to change the way that people do things. Um, I know Michael's reputation in, in, in the lettings industry is different to, to the majority of people out there because you're methodical, you care, you. You put so much more into to what you're doing. And when you put that in, you get it back. 
And for me, I, I love doing that. And I also love teaching people. I love, I love being successful in an area, in an arena, and then going out and teaching it to a wider audience and, and getting other people to, to do it. Um, but yeah, property's in my, in my vein. Property investing makes you money. It's interesting. It's exciting. And um, it's a no-brainer for me. And it's, it's addictive. Yeah, love that. It's a great answer, and I think it's it summarises the whole podcast. We've massively appreciated you having having you on. I speak on behalf of Mike and Tristan that you can tell you're enthusiastic and passionate about what you do, which is great to see. So if people are kind of watching, what's the best way to reach out to you if they want to know more? Brilliant, Ian. Thank you. Yeah. So anything property investing, anything HMOs, it's a, it's a minefield out there. So please get in touch with us. We'd love to help you. You can visit us on HMO Steroids or HMO Premier. Facebook, Instagram, or Peter Licarinus, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, or obviously visit our websites, www.hmonsteroids.co.uk. And yeah, we'd love to love to hear from you, show, show you some of our properties and help you along your way. Guys, you've been awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so uh, honest and raw with your content as well. It's been great. So appreciate it. Until the next time, we'll see you soon. So there we go. Peter's left the building. And uh, as I knew it would be, what an informative, energetic podcast. And on every one of these podcasts, I always learn at least one, two, three things. But I was just sitting, digesting everything that he's built, seeing the synergy and how we operate and the differentiator and the disrupting way that we've gone into a state agency. He's obviously way advanced in what he's doing within the HMO market. But I really enjoyed listening to him talking about knowing your market, not just knowing your property market, but knowing what he needs to know to give his clients the best quality service and information and almost protecting them, I guess, so that they don't find their own mistakes because he's learned what is the typical mistake of the HMO investor. And um, that I found really insightful because you don't often see that on the social media. You just see the exciting stuff. But actually to see the way he thinks about his client and protecting them was quite interesting. But Mike, yourself? Yeah, it was a whirlwind, wasn't it? I mean, we didn't even get through half the questions that, that <laughs> we wanted to ask. And we probably got twice the information that we thought we were going to get. Yeah. Um, but, but for me, it's amazing to see someone who has decided to create their own market. Someone who created a market in our hometown where you can rent a room for the same price as a one-bedroom flat because the quality is there. Who knew that that market existed before yeah. you did it? Yeah, well, we definitely don't think any of us did, but we obviously saw it and we completely bought into the product and it was it was really insightful, again, to talk about the kind of the six, six client setup of each property, but the extra features and amenities. And I, I would be proud, proud to it's live really in well anyway. drilled. Yeah. It's really well drilled to say this is what works now. This is what we've achieved. This is why it works. This is why it fits within council codings. But more importantly, this is why it works for the community of people who live here. Yeah. So we so we keep the tenants. Yeah. Absolutely. Tristan. I think we've both been there. We we both obviously hate the admin and the work involved from the management side of a HMO because it can be very stressful and there's a lot of changes and a lot of compliance they need to adhere to when setting up. I think the main thing for me is he's built a community within his tenancies, so the tenants love the product. And based upon this, the tenants stay there long-term as well. Yeah. If you look at, as he said, the typical length of tenancy is on average is seven months. There's his circle of 15, which is incredible. That's more than a lot of ASTs 
um, on sort of a typical one bedroom flat, I'd find up uh, obviously to, to be confirmed in terms of numbers. But yeah. from what I see daily, I'd probably say it is. Yeah. So uh, I think it's done well from that. Obviously, the themes and the sets that they've got is definitely working. Uh, and I think it's incredible to see. Yeah, I've always looked at HMOs on the numbers, the Excel sheets, when we've had to sell them on potentially. And what you always look at is that occupancy rate. And that's the concern you always have with a HMO is there's a lot of hassle to obviously deal with it. Um, and the occupancy rate at 100%, obviously it looks pretty sexy, the numbers, but you question that. But when you hear, you know, he's got one particular property that's just had a 24-month anniversary of six tenants staying for the full length, and they're still there. You know, that is that is really impressive and very fruitful, fruitful for the client as well. So, yeah, like you said, we got through half the questions, got twice the information. So we might need a part two in a couple of months. Um, but another great podcast. Hopefully everyone found it really useful, informative. Um, we do these for people to come and get free content. So if anyone's got comments, uh, they want to post it in the reviews about the type of guests they would like to see. If you're someone listening and you think you would make a good guest, then we uh, we welcome everyone with open ears and arms to um, have that conversation with us. So yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it. If you do, make sure you subscribe on whatever you're watching or listening on. Until the next one, we'll see you all soon. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously a stamp duty cost that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realize what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast, and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.